Um, all right, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them if they're paper. If you don't have a paper Bible and you would like a paper Bible, we would love to give you one. Uh, Fred and Drew, can you guys wave your hands at us over there? There's a little table back there, and uh, we have two Bibles left. Um, in the NIV translation, that's the translation that we teach from. And I just wanted, wanted you to know that if you wanted a paper Bible, um, those are free of charge. Please take them home with you. We want to be able to get the Word of God in your hands so that you can read it. If you're, if you're going to do the Bible or the sermon notes on the YouVersion app, please open that up and uh, go to the bottom right-hand corner, which is more, and then tap on events, and then tap on the event Bethel YTH, and save that event. And all of the notes that we're going to be talking through today will be on there, as well as a link to our podcast for if you miss any sermons. And uh, there's some resources at the end of those notes. Uh, there's also a resource to a short Bible reading plan. And so if you are in between Bible reading plans and you would like to start a different one, uh, you can use that. As you're kind of turning there, I want to just kind of just debrief us, or not debrief us, I want to give us just our, our uh, guidelines uh, for Bethel Youth. They are really, really simple. The first one, which encompasses so many different areas of life, but it's just respect. Uh, respecting one another. And one of the ways that we can respect one another in a really tangible way is how we use our cell phones within the gathering. So um, how many of you guys love your phones? Like, this isn't a trap. I have my hand up. I love my phone. I love what the access that it gives me. I love what it's uh, what it what it gives me. But at the same time, my phone is an incredible distraction to me. Right? Somehow, when we go to the bathroom, now it's like, all right, where's my phone? All right, so let's go grab that and uh, let's go take care of business. You know, it's like, it's just weird, and but it, it controls us. But we can also use our phones for good. We can redeem those distractions and do good with our phones. But one of the things within gatherings is to use our phones um, to engage with the notes. And But if you're using your phone to like text people, show people memes around you, that's not a very respectful, uh, that's not being respectful to the people around you because you're causing them to d distract them. And we just want each and every person uh, to be engaged with what's being taught, what's being sung, and what's being said in, in small groups and stuff like that. So we want to, your phones are amazing, but we don't want them to be a distraction for you or the people around you. So use them accordingly. And the next one really is, uh, is our bathroom policy. Uh, we don't really, I mean, we have a bathroom policy. Uh, just don't go all the time and one person at a time, okay? So you can hold it maybe if you have to go go but don't use it as a time to just go wander and meander around the building and the hallways and the parking lot because we want to keep you guys safe and we're right off the freeway and we don't want someone just wandering into our parking lot and potentially abducting you and we would not um, like that to happen so far that's never happened but we don't want tonight to be the night that that happens and so um yeah, and also when we get up and we kind of just start walking around all the time, it's also a, a thing of respect for the people that are up here and the people that are around you because when someone gets up, what do you do? You watch them, and then you're like, oh, okay, what's going on? You know, so it's just one of those things, so be, be respectful of one another. All right, I'm done, Taylor. Taylor, my name's Taylor. So 
I'm done. Let's move on to the, the text that we're going to be talking about tonight. So if you've been with us the last two weeks, uh, you, you will know that we are in a teaching series titled Planted, and we are talking through seven spiritual disciplines that are necessary for a deep spiritual... Kind, did you listen to what I said? Oh, my gosh. You can get a drink of water. No, sit down. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm only doing this to Kine because Kine's one of my best buddies. Someone give him water. No, I'm not saying you can go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, sit down. All right, so um, we (laughs) – I'm so sorry, Kine. I actually feel kind of bad. Um, Same, same. Seven different spiritual disciplines. The irony of what just happened is just ridiculous. Uh, okay, so um, seven spiritual disciplines uh, for necessary for a Christian's deep spiritual growth. And week one, we talked about Sabbath and rest. Last week, we talked about Bible study. And tonight, we are going to talk about worship. That is going to be the spiritual discipline. And the foundational text that we've been kind of rooted in through this series and will be for about the next four weeks is found in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It reads like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So the writer of this psalm believes that when a person delights in the law of the Lord, when a person delights in the word of the Lord, and when they meditate on it, when they think on it, when they study it, they will be like a tree that is planted next to a stream of water. The tree will produce fruit and it will prosper. And what David, the writer of this psalm, means by blessed is um, this person has contentment and happiness. And so this is kind of, I've shared this every week, but you could read Psalm 1 this way. Blessed is the man or woman who is happy, fulfilled, and content being planted and rooted with God. And this, the, the series kind of big idea is this. The believer must plant themselves in consistent fellowship with God, and they will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5. So this is what we're hoping to accomplish through this teaching series. And um, we want us, we, and these three different spiritual disciplines help us to plant ourselves in fellowship with God. So really the, the big question for tonight is this. What is worship? And this is a rhetorical question. I just want you to think about it for just a moment. In your mind, when you hear the term worship, what do you think of? If you spent any time in church, around the church, or have Christian friends, maybe you yourself are not a Christian, maybe you're still, maybe you are familiar, though, with this term worship, Um, but the interesting thing is, is the term worship is not limited to uh, Christian, the Christian tradition. Uh, worship has been used for thousands of years in other religions and belief systems. Um, in some religions, temples are set up with shrines and candles, and they have incense, and all of this is put into place to create a space for people to worship their God through meditation, prayer, and other rituals. And um, in other world religions, they will do these same things in their homes. They will set up shrines 
with statues of the particular God that they are worshiping. Um, They will set up candles. They will set up like a sacred space with incense, and they will meditate. They will pray, and they will do other rituals. But if you were to Google the word, if you were jump jump into the search engine Google and type in worship definition, this is what you will find in the Merriam-Webster. This is how it defines it. To honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. To regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. And one can, sorry, I'm battling a really sore throat. That's why I'm drinking a lot of water. Um, One can show honor, reverence, and respect to a God of their beliefs, but this word is not limited to religion. When you look at this definition, you could use this word worship in so many avenues of our life. Um, In our culture, it's not uncommon. Uh, Maybe you've said this before, or maybe you've done these things before, but it's not uncommon to hear a person talking about their favorite actor, uh, celebrity, musician, Musician or YouTuber with such honor that it's hard not to think that that person is worshiping or idolizing that person, that band, that celebrity, whoever the case may be. If you saw them in public, you guys wouldn't do that? Yeah, I don't think you would either. Um, but here's the thing. Often within the Christian church, uh, people use the term worship to define the portion of the gathering that we play music and sing together. So oftentimes the the phrase worship is equated to what we just did a few moments ago with these musicians and vocalists. It's a 10, 15, 20, 30 minute time where we sing songs together. Um, But here's the thing, from other observations of other religions and the general use of the word, does Christian worship also go beyond the songs during a gathering? Does it go beyond a genre of music, CCM, contemporary Christian music? Does it go beyond those different things? And we're going to be answering those questions tonight in this teaching about the spiritual discipline of worship. And as we talked about last week, we are going to look to the Bible to give us a framework of how we are to view worship, and it will help us define what Christian worship is as defined by God. So let's stand together. We are going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Kicking it back to the OT, the Old Testament. First Chronicles chapter 16, and we are going to read verses 23 through 31. It says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Dude, I've actually contemplated starting that tradition. I'm not going to lie. What? 
I did I did switch it up a little bit. Sorry. Um, the books of First and Second Chronicles. If you read these two books, they are a summary of all of the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament. Um, in our English Bible, if you look at the table of contents or if you're reading through this, you will see that First and Second Chronicles come after Psalm, uh, Samuel and Kings. The interesting thing is, is when you read First and Second Chronicles in the English Bible after you read uh, Kings and Samuel, you might think to yourself, this all sounds really familiar. It seems like I just read what I did and the, uh, what I just read in those books. The thing is, you kind of did because First and Second Chronicles, like I said, is a summary. But in the Hebrew Bible, interestingly enough, the way that they order the books, First and Second Chronicles is actually at the very end of the Old Testament. And so what the writers did in this order is they were bringing a summary of all of the Jewish scriptures, all of the Old Testament. And this specific portion in First Chronicles that we are reading in chapter 16, um, it, focus, it focuses on the Israelites' profession of God's faithfulness and his promise. And we're not gonna get too deep into the historical context, but um, the Ark of the Covenant, here's what's happening. The Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Jerusalem after the people were in exile in foreign nations for a long time. I have a picture of kind of a replica of what they think the Ark of the Covenant looked like. It was a a wooden box overlaid with gold. And what this was, the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of the covenant God made with the Israelites. And so within this box, there were the Ten Commandments, uh, among a few other things. And it was to be placed in the innermost parts of the tabernacle, which was their kind of mobile temple, um, or the actual temple when it was constructed and when it was built. The lid right there with the wings and things like that, it's called the mercy seat. And when this thing was in the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple, one time per year, the high priest would sprinkle blood from an animal sacrifice. It would, he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which would be to cover his and the sins of the nation. And this ritual would actually be a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do on the cross for all humanity. His blood was shed to cover and pay the price of the sin of Israel and the whole world. And so in 1 Chronicles 16, they're talking about and they're rejoicing the Ark of the Covenant returning to the promised land and they were celebrating. Verses 8 through 36 um, is one large psalm that David wrote for the people of Israel to express their worship and their gratitude for God. And kind of the passage that he's kind of retelling in this is Psalm 105. So let's look at how David structures this portion of this passage. So in verses 23 through 31, we have a few ways that the people were to worship God. They were instructed to sing. They were instructed to proclaim. They were instructed to declare which, and ascribe, which is give, and to bring an offering and to worship. And if you look at the original word, I'll get into, I'll get into that in a second, um, to bow down or to tremble. So in this portion of chapter 16, these are the, quote, kind of actions, so to speak, of how the people of God were to give honor, praise, and reverence to God for what he had done for them. 
I'm not going to go like crazy in depth into all of these words. We don't have the time to do that. But what we can see from this list, and if we were to do a little bit of research on these verses, we will conclude that some of this list includes musical praise, but other parts of the list do not. So David is instructing the people to sing, to proclaim, and to declare his glory among the nations because he is good and he made the heavens. But he's also telling them to ascribe or to give to God the recognition he deserves and to bring him an offering of their family. And in this context, they were, they were to bring to God an offering of a sacrifice to the altar in the temple for their sin. In verse 29, we see the actual, I mean, you guys saw it, I just referenced it, the actual like English word worship. But the original language does not use the word worship. The original language uses shaka, which means to bow down. And so what David is actually instructing them to do is to bow down to God because of his splendor and holiness. So it's interesting right here, when we see the word worship, we sometimes automatically think of they're singing, they're doing this, but actually David is instructing them to bow down because of God's splendor and his holiness. And so what we can see here, that what is being described as worship, um, uh, but only a small part of these instructions is to sing to God. The rest is to use your words, actions, and life to communicate to God and to others his splendor and authority. And then we're going to look at one other passage that teaches about Christian worship. If you have your paper, paper Bible, please turn to Romans chapter 12. If you're in the version, just scroll down a little bit. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in Romans chapter 12 through 15, Paul writes to the Roman church about how to live. More specifically, how they are to live not like just as Roman citizens, but as citizens of heaven, as Paul would write in a letter um, to the Philippians in chapter 3. So Paul begins this chapter with, I urge you. The original language's use of the words urge could also be translated as, I beg you, I implore you, I pray that you... Would. So this is how Paul is introing this chapter. So Paul is essentially saying to them, I beg you, because of what Jesus has done for you, because of your mercy on your sin, offer your life to him as a continual sacrifice. This is how you bring him true honor. And all throughout the book of Romans, Paul reminds these Roman Christians of all the ways God has shown them mercy. He's shown them mercy from freedom from death. He's shown them freedom from sin. He's shown them freedom from a dysfunctional relationship with the law that fosters sin. He's um, taught them about the gift of the Spirit, the freedom that's found in God's plan to conform believers to the Son, God's faithfulness to keep promises, especially those made to Israel. 
And Mike Reasoner, he kind of summarizes this all like this. He says, it's like Paul is saying at the beginning of Romans 12, since God has given such wonderful mercies to us, the least we can do is present our bodies to God. I want to illustrate it this way. Uh, When someone does something that you don't deserve, it changes us. I'm sure that you could think of an example where someone gave you something, did something for you. Maybe your sibling did the dishes for you when it was actually your night to do the dishes. Maybe they took the garbage out when it was your turn to take the garbage out. And you did nothing. You didn't do their chores. They just did it out of the goodness of their heart. It changes how we view that person, right? Doesn't it? Yes, it does. Okay, we'll just say that it does. Uh, it, it changes the way that we think about the person, changes the way that we treat the person, it changes the way that we talk about the person depending on how big that action was. And within the context of marriage, there could be a million ways that this is shown. Um, there, there are plenty of other uh, ways that, that, that this can be expressed, but this is an example that I thought of right off the top of my head um, that, that Megan does for me. So on Wednesday nights specifically, um, I stay here uh, pretty late. I usually leave here about like, I don't know, 9.30-ish, maybe 10 o'clock. And my role in our house is I take our dog out in the morning and I take our dog out at night. And Megan takes our dog out in the midday to go to the bathroom. But one of the things that she just started doing randomly out of the blue was she's like, if she stays home, if any of the kids are sick, so like tonight, um, our kids are sick, and so she is at home, what she will do is she will take our dog out at night so that I don't have to when I get home from working all day. So she doesn't, oh, I know, she doesn't have to do that. I loathe taking our dog out. I hate it. I don't like it. He has a torn ACL, so you can't just let him run free because he will literally limp um, or not use his leg for like three weeks. And so we have to take him out on a leash, and um, it's the worst. And I hate doing it, especially after, huh? Yeah, we did. And they said, here, pay thousands and thousands of dollars to tear his ACL, or to repair his ACL, and then in a few days when he gets home, he'll just run and tear it again. So that's what they told us. They said, hopefully scar tissue will build, and he will be good to go. So, yeah, if any of you guys want a pit bull that has a torn ACL, um, you might be able to have him. So his name is Boss. He's really sweet. He's, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Anyways, where was I? Um... Oh, this is something that Megan does for me. I don't deserve it. She didn't ask me. I didn't ask her to do it. She just did it because she knows that I don't prefer to do that. And so just out of the goodness and the love of her heart, she decided to start doing that. Um, And this is obviously, like I said, it's a really small thing. But what it does is it reinforces the mutual love for one another and the sacrifice that we have for one another. So this is a really silly example. I'm sure you thought of one. But I want you to think about it on maybe a more like eternal scale, like a scale that has a little bit more weight. Think about this. You were dead in your sin. You deserve death because of your rebellion against God. But God was rich in mercy and grace and made a way for you to be saved from the wrath of God for sin. This is huge, people. This is huge. Paul is reminding the Roman Christians. He's reminding us through this letter He's reminding us of God's mercy 
And as readers today, the same truth is being revealed to us. The sacrifice imagery that Paul is using is about the old covenant and how, remember, we talked about the mercy seat and we talked about these sacrifices that that God would require a person to offer an animal sacrifice as a payment for their sin. It was the life of this perfect animal in the place of the imperfect person to pay for their sin. It took the life of something perfect to pay for the imperfect. Paul says it was Jesus' death on the cross that fulfilled that requirement. It was his perfect life that paid the price for our sin. And when we repent of our sin and acknowledge the price that Jesus paid and surrender our lives to him, the scriptures say that we become a new new creation in 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 17, and this is the renewal that Paul talks about in verse 2, that your minds would be renewed, that your lives would be renewed as you continuously offer your life as a living sacrifice. I want to reread verses 12, 1 through 2 as we close, but I want to read it in the New Living Translation. It says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, catch this, by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So here's my question in closing. Is your life lived in such a way that is a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God? It's a big question. So the way that you treat your siblings, is that holy and pleasing to God? The way that you treat and talk to your parents, is that holy and pleasing to God? The boundaries that you set in relationships, are those holy and pleasing to God? The way that you steward and express your sexuality is that holy and honoring to God. The way that you treat those who are different than you is that holy and pleasing to God. Kara Holmes said this. She says, worship is a lifestyle, a pattern of acknowledging and glorifying Jesus throughout the day. And these are all questions people that we need to be asking and deeply processing daily. So from the passages that we've read in 1 Chronicles 16, Romans 12, we can conclude that Christian worship is acknowledging who God is, an act of praise or adoration to our Savior, and not limited to a time or place. It is a lifestyle. So I want to leave you with the big idea, and it's this. Christian worship is a life of sacrifice that is lived to honor God and acknowledge who he is, all because of what he has done. And yes, worship includes a time where we sing together. Those are powerful times. But worship is also the way that you live 
your life. So we're going to go into our small groups, and we're going to process this for about the next 20 minutes. Um, And so the guys are in the back of the room. Girls are in the front. I need you guys to sit down really, really quick. I want to say something. High school is on this side of the room. Middle school is on this side of the room. Um, Let's make sure that when we're in our small groups that we're kind of in small circles. Let's also be respectful of the groups around you. So let's make sure that we kind of keep our volume not to a yelling level and not to a talking really loud, but let's try to get close and so that we can have a good conversation and not have to yell and not have to like kind of disrupt the groups around us. Does that sound good? All right, sick. Let's go to our small groups.